Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Again. Shot button two. Today is first day of the first month. We're here gathered together in this first day of the first month to hear the word of the Lord. Amen to receive instruction and teaching, to grow in the spirit of God and in the truth of God. Amen. May his light shine upon us. Let us go in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' holy name, thank you, Father, for getting us through another year and another month. Thank you, Father, for this first day of the first month, even though the new year actually started at Spring Equinox last week, a few days ago, that this is a new month. And we're in this new year, and we thank you, Father, for this, for getting us through another year, and for giving us more time. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Father, for this spiritual food that we're about to receive. Thank you, Father, for what you've already revealed unto me to share with your people. I cannot wait to share this mind-blowing, amazing revelation. You are so good to us. You are so good to your bride, to your woman, to your church, to your people, to your citizens, to your inheritance. Praise your holy name, Father. I pray, Lord, that you help everyone to understand completely and to not misunderstand. Please help those that have trouble with English to understand my English. Please give them, Lord, if you would, the interpretation of my tongue. I ask you, Father, please help Kiki. Robert and Brittany and AJ and Meekness, Peter and Kareem, you would please help Jonathan, who is in prison, and Martin and Augustine. You would please help Russell and BJ. You would please help all of this congregation, Father. Each one, you know each one, their needs, their cures, their concerns, their troubles, their afflictions. We pray, Father, that your will prevail. We thank you, Lord, for your plan, for your plan is perfect. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we accept, Lord, your presence, your empowerment, and your blessing and anointing on this service. May you be blessed and your people edified. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. 
We're going to start in verse 38, Mark 9, verse 38. So in the new edition, this is page 55. Page 55 in the New Testament, brand new edition, updated, improved edition of the Alpha Bible. Alpha and Omega Bible. You could also call it the Jesus Bible because it is the Bible that restores Jesus' name through the Old Testament. Amen. Now, we're going to read from here. And by the way, I've already posted the notes to this sermon uh, on MeWe in the I Saw Light Ministries online social media group. So feel free to follow along in the notes I've already posted. That might help you, especially if you might have any trouble with my English. That might help you, the notes, to understand what I'm saying and to follow along. Mark 9, verse 38. John said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him or stop him because he was not following us. He was not following the the 12 main disciples of Jesus. But Jesus said, do not hinder him. For there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Verse 40, for he who is not against us is for us. Now, we're going to keep reading, but I'm going to briefly pause there and help you to not misunderstand this because a lot of people will twist this or at the very least misunderstand. It's easy to misunderstand this. This person was not against Christ. Amen? This is not a person of Babylon. This is not a wolf in sheep's clothing. Amen? If this person had been a wolf in sheep's clothing, Jesus would have said something completely different. Jesus would have probably maybe gone to that man straight to his face and cursed him or had the disciples to curse him. Perhaps. But I know one thing for sure. This was not a wolf in sheep's clothing. Amen. He was not against Christ. And I think of... This makes me think of a lot of people that I have witnessed to who, although they may not have joined the congregation, they didn't say to me, you're wrong, you're deceived, you're following a cult, this can't be right, or any such thing. Some people was willing to at least hear me out and to listen to the word of God without uh, bad-mouthing it. 
Now, there's another verse in the Bible. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. That says something like that. There was somebody, and it's probably the same account being told different by another disciple, perhaps. But there was somebody, and they told Jesus about this guy. And Jesus said something like, they're not with our flock, but leave them alone. That's not even close, but something like that, same principle. Same principle as seen right here. They're not of our particular flock, but leave them alone. Because he said in that particular verse, I will gather them together eventually, something like that, okay? So what this is, is you may have more than one congregation. You may have a congregation at Ephesus, and then one at Corinth, and then so forth, so forth. But they're in unity in spirit, one mind, one accord, one doctrine, and they're all following Jesus, okay? This is not talking about Babylon. This is not talking about deceivers and devils and, and liars and false religion. Because Jesus would have had a, a completely different response if it had been, I guarantee you. Amen. So do not misunderstand, do not misinterpret that. Okay? Now, and we think of this also, it is better for someone to remain, remain quiet than to actually speak against the Word of God. If they actually speak against the Word of God, then we can and should give them a quick rebuke. Amen. We should give them a quick rebuke if they actually do fight against us because that's a different situation. Then we go to verse 41. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, amen, I say to you, he will not lose his, his reward because he has helped you, he has given you water. 42, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe who believed, to stumble, would it be better for him if a heavy millstone was hung around his neck he had been, and he had been cast into the sea. So very clearly, if somebody was lying and deceiving, leading somebody astray, his answer would have been different. And he even said so right here. He even said so right here. Okay? Then in 43, if your hand, if your hand, so he had been talking about other people, strangers that these disciples didn't even know that was not part of their inner group. But if your hand, somebody closer to you, part of your group, part of your body, causes you to stumble, deceives you, lie uh, about the truth, is a wolf in sheep's clothing, says, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life crippled or without that one hand or without that one person than having two hands to go into Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire. 44 is King James, so we'll skip 44. Then 45 says, if your foot causes you to stumble, another member of the body, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame without that one foot than having two feet to be cast into Jehina. 
So that comma needs to be removed right there after the word feet. Then having two feet to be cast into Jehanna Robert. Make a note to remove the comma after the word feet in verse 45. Having your two feet to be cast into Jehanna. 46, King James adds, so we'll go to 47. Then if your eye causes you to stumble, another part of the body, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of Theos with one eye than having two eyes to be cast. Again, remove the comma after eyes. Having two eyes to be cast into Jehanna. Now, in other words, this fellowship from part of the body. As I said, there was a stranger. They did not know. Christ said, leave that person alone. He's okay. He's not deceiving people because if he had been, it would, it would have been better for him to be thrown in the sea with a big stone cast around his neck. But this is inner people. If somebody closer to you that you actually know is causing you to deceive you, this fellowship, somebody in your life, somebody in your home, somebody in your church, remove that person so that the whole church or so that the whole entire unity would not be cast. Now, I've used these verses before to explain to people to disfellowship from lost members of the church that continually and repeatedly will not repent of their sins. But today, I share with you an increased additional understanding. You already know what it is, don't you? And the scriptures that follow will prove that this also refers not only to church members and family and friends, but also to husband and wife. Absolutely. In fact, that's exactly what Christ had in mind. Go down to chapter 10 and remember that there was no chapter divisions in the original scriptures. Chapter 10, verse 1. Getting up, he went there to the region to Judea and beyond the Jordan, Jordan River, and crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more told them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and questioned him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And the angel had said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses commanded a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this injunction, this ruling, to send your wife away, to divorce you. But from the beginning of creation, Theos made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his dad and mom and the two, those two, shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, at first reading, without considering the previous verses in chapter 9, without considering chapter 9, you may think that it's totally forbidden for any man and woman to be divorced. But you have to remember that there was no chapter divisions originally. 
And I also double-checked to see if the same alignment of scriptures existed in Matthew. And it does. It does exist in the same order in Matthew. So twice the teachings go from talking about removing part of your body, one eye or one hand or one foot, where there's two, two hands, two feet, two eyes, but they're one flesh, two members of one flesh, removing one of those members of your own body. And we know that it says right here that two shall become one flesh. And yet in chapter 9, only a few verses, only, 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 I mean, it's right there at there, right there in it, that is talking about one flesh, two eyes. This is very clearly talking about that you can, that you can, that you can, and that you should cast out, cut off from yourself, from that one flesh, of the unity of marriage, if that partner, which, yes, I said it, that partner, but I'm saying it in the context of that he is your husband, that she is your wife. I'm not leaving out the word wife. I'm not leaving out the word husband. And that's where I have a problem with the word partner. If it's completely substituting the wife, the word wife, and the word husband, if it's completely substituting those words, then I have a problem with that word partner. Because it's important to identify who you're talking about and what kind of relationship that you're in. And it is absolutely needful for divorce if that person is causing you to fall away from God. If that person is going to lead you to the lake of fire, if that person is going to lead you to the lake of fire, it wouldn't matter whether they are your dad, your mom, your child, your grandfather, your grandson, your husband, your wife, your best buddy, your best girlfriend, your best concubine. It wouldn't matter who it was if they were going to lead you to the lake of fire, then you've got to get rid of that person out of your life. Isn't that true? So are you going to go all the way to judgment day with the person that is leading you to the lake of fire saying, Paul would not allow me to cut out the eye. Paul would not allow me to cut off my hand, even though my hand was causing me to die the second death. Paul would not allow me to do that. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Amen. Now we go up to, uh, back up to chapter 9, verse 49. Mark 9, verse 49. Get what's in between these uh, things here. Only a couple of verses. For everyone will be salted with fire. What does that mean? Well, in verse uh, 47, 48, these other previous verses are talking about that if you don't cast away the unbeliever, 
the unfaithful person, the, the person that's leading you to hell, if you don't cast away that person, you're going to go into the lake of fire. Well, everybody will be in the lake of fire, even the righteous, even the saints, even the most holy. Everybody will be in the lake of fire. I hope you understand that. God is the lake of fire. And his presence is going to come upon the earth after the great white throne judgment and completely engulf the entire earth. It says that every tree and the grass and the mountains will all dissolve everything to remodel the earth and bring in a new, a newly remodeled earth. You're going to be there in that lake of fire. It don't matter whether you're, you was turned to spirit, whether you're a saint, or whether you're wicked. We're all going to be there in that fire. And the Bible says that we will all be tested by that fire. What remains? Whether it will be ashes and smoke or whether it will be a soul of good character and good works and holiness and righteousness. So in this context, it says, verse 49, everyone, everyone will be salted with fire. So it's the, it's the lake of fire. Verse 50, salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. In other words, God wants unity, amen, in the marriage and in the church and in friendship. In other words, he wants unity, but sometimes division must occur, amen. Division must occur. And he did not come to bring peace but the sword, amen. Now, for us, being that we need to be salty, that means that we need to be flavorable. That means we need to be flavorable, like salt means that we should have the flavor of Christ, that we should act like him, talk like him, listen like him, look like him. We should be his hands and his feet. And he is our Savior. He is what gives us flavor. He is what gives us spice. He is what gives us life. He is the bread. He is the water. He is the salt. He is the eternal life. He is the breath. He is all things to us, everything to us. Amen. We are in him. Amen. And he is in us. We need him. Amen. We need him. Now, if we lose him, we're useless. Amen. Now, he is also the lake of fire. And he is in us. The Bible says that he came into all men. All men. Even if they're lost. His spirit of the breath of life is in even the most wicked person. God's spirit is in there. He is the breath of life. So he does solve everyone. Even before we get to the lake of fire. Even before we get to the fullness of the final lake of fire, he's already salted everyone. And he wants us to get more salt, to get more fire, to get more of him. Be more hot on fire for him. 
not cold and not lukewarm. He wants us to become more hot on fire for him and season the world with his fire, amen, and with his salt, same analogy, okay? The fire and the salt is one here. Salt it with fire is the one, right? Now, in this context, it is also describing us, even though it does not use this word, it is an analogy of a sacrifice. I'm going to help you understand. I'm going to help you understand why I say this. An analogy of us being a sacrifice to him. Because when you look all throughout Scripture how the sacrifices was done, the sacrifices were done with salt and fire. And either all of them or some of them them were done with alcohol as well. And fat, God loves fat, salt, <laughs> and alcohol with his food. <laughs> God is awesome. God is alpha male. He said, bring me a lamb or ox or a bull or a lamb. Put it up here in the altar for me and give me some wine with it and give me plenty of fat and give me plenty of salt. That was the sacrifices. So when we see here fire and salt, and he wants us to have fire, and he wants us to have salt, it is talking about us being a living sacrifice. You get it? Amen. It's clear, ain't it, once you think about it. Now, I've read these verses I couldn't tell you how many times I've read these verses over my lifetime since I was 10 years old, over and over and over and over. But never before until last night and today, never before until these last few hours have I understood these verses in the context of us being living sacrifices in verse 49 and 50. And also, never before, have I seen these verses in the light of divorce in verse 43 through 48. Divorce. It absolutely is talking about divorce. And you can use it also to talk about disfellowship within the church as well, because it's the same thing if your husband and wife is together in the congregation. Now, even though chapter 10 makes it seem like you can never divorce, we know that there are reasons that you can divorce. Adultery and other forms of fornication, spiritual fornication. Uh, I think it's right here. Is it in verse 11, chapter 10, verse 11? He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman, commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she's committing adultery. But I don't know where it is right there. In there. Let's see, where is the verse? It says, except for fornication. Robert's going to find it here. 
Matthew 5, verse 32. So I'm going to write that in here next to Mark 10, 12. And it's already got it there. Mark 10, 12 already has a footnote of Matthew 5, verse 28 through 32. So it's already got a cross-reference. And you need to cross-reference. You have to cross-reference to understand the Bible. You can't just take the one verse. If we cross-reference it, Matthew 10, verse 12, cross-reference the footnote, Matthew 5, verse 28 to 32, you see that it says, except for the cause of immorality or the cause of sin, as Alpha Omega Bible says, for the cause of unrepentant sin. That can be any sin, as long as it is uh, a major sin. I'm not talking about just uh, buying too much uh, bananas, you know, I'm not talking about light, light things like that. It has to be something huge and major, a real and true reason for divorce. Such as the husband or wife does not worship Jesus. That the husband and wife doesn't believe the truth, doesn't believe in keeping the seventh day, doesn't believe in keeping the holy days. Uh, that the husband or wife is doing Christmas or Easter or believes in a three-headed God monster, or, or claims that Jesus is not God. If your husband or wife claims that Jesus is not God, that breaks the first commandment. And therefore, that is fornication. That is spiritual fornication. That is unrepentant sin. That is a two eyes not walking in agreement, two hands not walking in agreement, and, uh, and two, two hands not working in agreement. And so that is cause for divorce, according to the entire Bible, if you take it all in context in that. Now let's go over to chapter uh, Romans, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1. Page 173. Get the Bible out. Romans 12. Page 173. Turn to page 173. 173, page number 173. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of Theos, bodies a living and holy sacrifice to Theos, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of Theos, what the will of Theos is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we just read about the salt and the fire. 
as a living sacrifice, we find here in chapter 12 that we need to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. This is our spiritual service of worship. And not only our body, but our mind needs to be renewed, changed, not stayed the same way. So if your mind is not in unity with Christ, then you need to allow your mind to be transformed, changed from darkness to light, from unholy to holy, from an unbeliever to a believer, from unfaithful to faithful, to trusting and believing in God for forgiveness of sins, to wipe away all guilt, to wipe away the past, to wipe away yesterday, to give you a new start, a new life. For the old person is gone and the new has come. Amen. It's not impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Nothing good is impossible with God. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. That's page 186. Turn to page 186. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he, in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He didn't say do it often, but as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes, which means that the Passover communion was never done away with. Amen? Until he comes. He has not come yet. How can it be done away with? Amen. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. For a person must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We must examine ourselves, as another verse says, to see if we are in the faith. We are not to assume that we're in the faith, in the body of Christ. Just because we was baptized, just because we keep the seventh day and the holy days, does not automatically mean that we're truly in the faith, in the body of Christ, that we're truly safe. We have to examine ourselves. 
And we do that every year until he comes. We must continue to examine ourselves on a daily basis, but especially when it comes, Passover. Verse 29, for he who drinks and eats and drinks, he, he drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. What body? Well, first of all, ourselves, right? We move our own beam out of our own eye first. Judge yourself first. Don't be worried about your brother and sister until you're done examining yourself. Because if you're not worthy to take the Passover communion, then it ain't none of your business about who else can't take it. Amen? But after you are done examining yourself and you know that you're in the faith, truly saved, with the Holy Ghost, you trust God, you're obeying him, and you see the fruits of repentance in your life, you see changes in your life, he empowers you, he helps you, he's there for you. Then you have to start judging the rest of the body, the other eyes, the other hands, the other feet, the husband, the wife, the congregation. When you take communion, not only are you taking it to Jesus, but you're also taking communion with the other hands and feet and eyes in the body of Christ. We must judge one another. We have to judge one another, who we allow in the house and who we allow to stay in the congregation long term. We have to. That is absolutely a necessity for the body, just like we have to be careful not to eat foods with pesticides, just like we have to make for sure that we don't eat foods that are genetically modified, just like we have to make for sure that we don't eat food that is spoiled or contaminated, we have to judge the, the congregation once we have judged ourselves. Judge the body, the church, rightly. It wouldn't say judge the body if it meant only yourself. It would not say that. The body includes many members. Amen? Verse 30, for, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. There in verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. In other words, have died. People have actually died for taking communion without judging themselves first, and perhaps also because they did not judge one another. They just went along with the crowd. Verse 31, for if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. In other words, God would not punish us if we correct ourselves. And also, 
You could also apply that if we examine ourselves and get ourselves right, other people would not have to second-guess us. Amen. They would know, hey, that person, I know he's saved. I know she's saved. They, other people in the church, won't have to second-guess whether or not they come for communion or stay home for communion. People do have the right to stay home for communion if the pastor will not separate the congregation. It is the pastor's duty and responsibility to separate the congregation for Passover communion. No pastor, no pastor should ever say, everybody is welcome, including everybody in the community, strangers that you never even met before, your family members and husbands and wives who are not even saved, or members of Babylon. That should not be, even though most churches allow it. Most churches allow it. That is not allowed in Scripture, amen. It is the pastor's duty and responsibility to say who can come and who should not come for the Passover communion. And if the pastor is doing that, you should trust his determination. But if you know for a fact that the pastor is not exercising righteous judgment, as the Bible calls righteous judgment, you know that the pastor is not exercising that, then you have the right to stay home for communion and take it all by yourself or with somebody else that joins you who is truly baptized and saved in the truth in Jesus Christ, rather than joining yourself to un, unfaithful, unbelieving people in the congregation that the pastor is not separating out. You have the responsibility to yourself to not take communion with devils. Now let's go over to uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 12, Exodus 12. Page 101, page 101 in the law book. Page 101, Exodus 12, verse 43. Exodus 12, find it. Page 101. Exodus 12, verse 43. Jesus said to Moses and Aaron, This is the law of the Passover. No stranger shall eat of it. Amen. Now we know that in the context of the Old Testament, stranger means 
people who are not members of the congregation of Israel, family, nation of Israel. That means also even a even a Gentile slave could could eat Passover if you look at other verses. If they were obedient, if they were circumcised at that time, if they were in agreement with the God of Israel, if they were faithful to their master, even in the truth of God. But a stranger was a person that was not faithful to God. It really has nothing to do with skin color or what nation you're from. It only has to do with, do you believe and follow the true God? Amen. And so we see here that the Passover communion is not for Babylon and unbelievers because those are strangers, outsiders to the congregation. Amen. Now let's go to verse 41 here. Verse 41, it came to pass after the 430 years, uh, and not not 430 years of slavery, but rather 430 years of uh, them being in the land of Canaan, including the time of slavery. That after the 430 years that they was in the land of Canaan or in the land of Egypt or whatever, however the, the term should be, all the forces, the armies of Jesus, came forth out of the land of Egypt by night. Now remember, they stayed in their houses, huts, whatever, Passover night. They ate Passover in their homes, and it doesn't mean you have to be at home. Don't, don't get me wrong there. But they were at their homes on that particular Passover And God said, everybody stay in your house all night long until morning, until sunrise. And they did that. Sunrise came. Then that day, that new sunrise was the first day of unleavened bread. All day long, on the first day of unleavened bread, they marched toward the Red Sea and then started crossing the Red Sea. And they crossed the Red Sea all that night. So it was the night after Passover that they was crossing the Red Sea. And they came out of the land of Egypt by night. Verse 42, it is a night to be observed to Jesus. For that that he having brought them out of the land of Egypt, that very night is a night to be observed. One of these days I'll be able to say that better. Observed to Jesus so that it should be to all the children. We are the children of Jezreel to their generations. So, when you take Passover night, communion, a sip of real wine, and a bite of unleavened bread that you make yourself preferably, the next night at sunset, and that evening, will be the night to be observed. Now, traditionally, I was raised to call it the night to be much observed. And it, that's not wrong to say it that way, even though it doesn't say much absor- absorbed right here, I don't think. 
But that's just a technicality. Don't get caught up, caught up in the ABCs. Either way, it is a night to be celebrated, the night after Passover. There's a comparison between the two nights that on Passover, the Passover night itself is a solemn night. It represents the death of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for us. It's solemn. It's not a major celebration. After we do the communion and foot washing, we all go home immediately. We do not hang out. We do not fellowship. We don't keep drinking. We don't keep eating, although we're not fasting either. We go home. But then that next night, woo, baby, baby. That next night is party time. Put on your party hats and get your whistles out and an extra glass of wine because it's a night truly to be much observed. It is a night of celebration because it brought, that's the night they crossed the Red Sea. They were leaving, leaving Egypt, which represents to us leaving Babylon, leaving the bondage and the slavery of the past. Amen. Leaving false religion behind without looking back. Amen. We're, we are commemorating salvation, celebrating what Jesus did, did for us, celebrating what Jesus just did for us to take us out of the world spiritually, to take us out of spiritual Egypt, spiritual Babylon, and spiritual Sodom and Gomorrah, that he delivered us, that he transformed us and saved us. It is a night to celebrate. Now, Passover communion is only for baptized members of the congregation that are still faithful to Jesus. But the rest of the fiesta of the seven days of unleavened bread and the night to be observed, that's for everybody that's in the congregation, whether they're baptized or not, and whether they remain faithful or not, they can still attempt to keep the holy days, and they should attempt to keep all of God's commandments, but they're not allowed to actually do the Passover communion. But they can join us for the night to be much observed, observed as they continue to press toward salvation and righteousness and working out the salvation with fear and trembling. And there is second chance Passover only one month after that. There is second chance Passover, which is a great hope of mine, a great hope of mine, not for myself, but you know what I'm talking about, a great hope of mine that someone will be baptized again and faithful to God by that time. Now let's go back to the book of the New Testament and go to John 6. And we'll close here just uh, after we explain this, John 6, verse 53. This is a major verse, huge verse, very important. We need to memorize where this is at because this is such a tremendous verse. I've got it highlighted in my new updated Bible. Page 109 in the New Testament, page 109. 
New Testament. That's a different book. Page 109. John 6, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Mankind and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. We know this is symbolic. We know this is, this is, this is very clearly symbolic. It's very clearly talking about taking the wine and the unleavened bread. Amen. And unless you do that, you're not saved, even if you were baptized. So I want you to understand that if you are attending a congregation where they believe in, in baptism and the seventh day, and they have a lot of other truth, but they don't keep communion, and they don't keep the holy days of God, the unleavened bread, the fiesta of tabernacles, and so forth, then you're still not attending the right place. We are your congregation. We are your fellowship. We, we are your brothers and sisters, and I am your pastor. If you're a pastor and your local congregation does not do communion and the holy days, according to this Bible verse, they have no life, no eternal life is what it's referring to, no Holy Ghost. They are not saved if they don't do the communion on Passover. And it has to be only on Passover because Passover is the date that represents his death and crucifixion for us. You can't take communion every Sunday or every Saturday or once a month or three or four times a year. It doesn't make sense to do it that way. It did, it did not say do it often, but rather as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of him. There's a huge difference there. And I take Passover communion as often as once per year. But that doesn't mean that I take communion often. But rather I take communion as often as once per year. You see how that's different? Very, very easily discerned as a difference. If a person doesn't have life in them, they are not saved. And you cannot be saved without doing both baptism and communion. Baptism and communion both bind you to the body of Christ, which is the congregation, which is the bride of Christ, which is the group of wives, the wise virgins, the wise virgins of Matthew 25. The bride of Christ is made up of many women who will marry Christ. And we are all symbolically his bride if we take communion and are baptized in the truth and obey all of his commandments and are faithful and, and we really trust him and truly have his Holy Ghost. If we truly have life in us, then we are symbolically the uh, wise virgins who make up more than one woman in the body of Christ. 
if we're going to be prepared for his return. We will not marry an unbeliever. And if we do, after giving them time to repent, after giving them time, a reasonable time, to repent and be baptized, then eventually we must remove that eye, that hand, that body, that part of the body. We must, even as Christ does. Notice how half the body, thank you, Jesus, half the body in that ten virgins don't make it in. That's mind-blowing to me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. One eye, one hand, one foot, half of the body of the ten virgins do not make it in. Let not this fear hinder us, but rather provoke us to repentance. Amen? If this scares us that we might not make it in, that should not cause us more anxiety, but rather it should cause us to get serious about living for him, trusting him, obeying him, being obedient. If you're a woman, to be obedient to the husband and for all people to be obedient to the, the pastor of truth, that's Bible. I'm not here to exalt myself. But I'm teaching you all the truth, all the truth, all the truth. I have to include everything. And the Bible says we all must submit ourselves to one another, all of us. I do submit myself to y'all. But you also have to submit yourself to me. Amen. And consider Solomon also, David's son. Consider Solomon and how his heathen wives led him astray. The problem with Solomon was not that he had many wives, but rather the problem with Solomon was who he married, not how many he married. The problem was who he married, unbelievers, people that were following false gods. Amen. In fact, his dad, David, also had many, 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 many wives. And also David had many, many, many multitude sex slaves, concubines. Yes, he did. David did. And the Bible says not only was his heart perfect before the Lord, except for only the exception of what he did concerning Bathsheba, but also, the scripture says that God would have given David even more wives if he had asked so. The Bible says that. The Bible says that God would have given David even more wives if he had asked for them. So the problem was not that Solomon, David's son, had too many wives, but rather who he chose as wives and did not kick them out. That was his problem. Well, I praise God for the revelation of Mark 9 and Mark 10 
how those scriptures go together. There should be no chapter division there. And if there was no chapter division, it would be easier for people to understand the context and how the marriage and divorce fits right in there, fits right in, in unity, really without any separation of context. Fits all together perfectly. And same thing in Matthew. So it's not that Mark was getting it out of order. The same thing occurs in Matthew and probably other Gospels. Maybe John, maybe Luke, I don't know. But Matthew and Mark agree, and therefore that's enough for me. I don't have to look at Luke and John. Matthew and Mark agree, that's enough for me. Amen. I know what God has revealed. He just keeps confirming what he has taught us. You know what is true. Amen. I always ask God. God knows that this is the truth. I always ask him to show me if I am wrong. I take these things serious. I do not want to lead people in deception. I ask God that if I was teaching wrong about this, to correct me, show me through Scripture or through any other means, to show me and correct me on this. And you know what he did? He gave me Mark 9 and 10 and showed me the unity of Scripture about casting out your own body member. That two, a man and woman should be one flesh, but you are to cut off part of your own flesh. That you are to cut off part of your own flesh. Now, some people would say, but, but he or she is not going to lead me to the lake of fire. And I'll tell you what I've already said over and over. If you're an alcoholic, and you live in the back room of a bar, you're going to drink. And you can say all day long that you don't want a haircut, but if you hang out at a barber shop all day, every day, you're eventually going to get a haircut. So you can say all you want to that your husband or wife won't lead you away, but if you're living with somebody, Now, I understand there are exceptions. And I've already covered it with certain people that have exceptions. But in general, if you are living with an unbeliever who does not worship Jesus as God, you need to get out. Because they will eventually, slowly, and very, in a sneaky way, more crafty than the devil. The devil is very crafty, very sneaky. And many, many things are very, very sublineal. Very slow and just creep in. They creep in, the Bible says, that the enemy creeps in. The devil is very sneaky. It doesn't happen just in one day. It's slow and sneaky how the enemy works. 
to just chip away a little at a time, chip away, uh, causing more and more doubt, causing you to doubt, giving you another dream, and then another one, then another one, another one, just here's a little doubt, here's a little division, here's a little confusion, here's a little bit discouragement, here's a little bit disappointment, here's a little bit of conflict, here's a little bit of a dream, here's a little bit of something else, and it just keeps happening and keep going. And you know it's going to get worse. You know it's going to get worse if you allow it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cut out the eye. Amen. We are coming up not only to Passover, but seven days of Passover, seven days of unleavened bread, I mean, after that. And that leaven represents sin within the body. And the seven days of not eating any leavening represents to us a process of getting the sin out. It's not done in one day getting it out either. I know that. It takes time. But we've got to work on that process. We've got to make a plan and get that leavening out. We've got to get out all the doubt, all the discouragement, all the unbelief, all the unfaithfulness, all of, all of the not trusting the Lord. We've got to get all those things out. We've got to make a plan how to do this and move forward with the plan how we're going to live holy for the Lord. Amen. I'll also say that because we're saving up for the wilderness, that we should make an exception for uh, the allowance to have leavening in our uh, stockpiles at home. I know that the Old Testament says, let no one be found with any leavening in the home. But there are exceptions to almost everything. And God knows and God understands that we are stockpiling, prepping for the great tribulation. And at this point of time, we can't be going out and putting it somewhere else. Uh, we might, some of us can, but not all of us. Some of us might have a storage unit. But not ever one of us do. And if you don't have somewhere outside your own home, you put the baking soda and leavening, uh, then it would be okay to put it in a closet out of sight and not touch it during the days of unleavened bread. It's the same principle. The principle is to not be consuming that leavening. That's the main thing. So, preferably, try to get all the leavening, baking soda, other leavening ingredients out of your home completely. Maybe out on the porch in a sealed box with a lid if it won't spoil outside according to what the temperature may be, or in a storage unit that you might could rent for just a week or something, or at a friend's house or something. Everybody has a different situation. I understand everybody's in a different situation. 
And if need be, yes, even in your own home, even inside your own home, as long as it's out of sight, you don't touch it, you don't bother it, you don't eat it, you don't consume it, then that would be sufficient. That's the main thing, do not consume it. I do have the recipe, as always. The recipe's still there. It's not changed. I'm probably going to uh, make the amount of oil to add less, not much less, though. It needs to be oily. I want you to understand that the unleavening bread recipe is not meant to be a perfect food of taste, perfect taste-wise. It's representing the crucifixion, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. So the unleavened bread should be somewhat oily to represent the Holy Ghost. It should be somewhat salty to also represent the Holy Ghost, the fire of God, the flavor, the savoring of God. So it's not, it should not be perfected to your preference of taste, but rather it is a symbol of the body of Christ. But I do think I might reduce the recipe of the amount of oil and maybe add more salt. Let's see, we'll play with that recipe. But I prefer for people, and I recommend and encourage people to make their own unleavened bread. But if you have to, for whatever reason, your situation, you could go and buy some unleavening. But I think it's better if a person can make their own to where you have that extra oil, to have extra special representation to help you with uh, remembrance of what you're doing with this unleavened bread all week. The wine is only required only on Passover evening but you can feel free also to continue to drink wine throughout the week, especially on the night to be observed. But it's only required for communion, for the wine. Unleavened bread is required all seven days. You can continue to eat other things, and you should continue to eat other things as well, but do not eat any leavened food. If anybody has any questions, feel free to contact me through email, MeWe, website, whatever. Uh, congratulations to Brother Kareem, who was baptized into Christ Jesus the other day and joined uh, as a member uh, of our sister wives, uh, <laughs> sister brothers, brother brothers, <laughs> or <laughs> our brother husbands. He joined into the congregation of Christ the other day. So congratulations, Brother Kareem. Praise God. And the title of this sermon is No Communion with Babylon Spouses. No Communion with Babylon and No Communion with Babylonian Spouses and Unbelieving Spouses. And if we don't have communion with them, not only is that on Passover evening, but for most people, for many people, you shouldn't have communion. You shouldn't be eating with them, drinking with them, living with them, having sex with them, anything with them. The unbelievers, consider what happened to Solomon because of his unity with unbelieving wives. 
and it goes vice versa, whether you're a man or woman, the same is true, the same spiritual principle is true for both genders. There are some exceptions where certain people might need to stay where they're at for a time and a season because maybe their husband or wife shows potential. Maybe they believe in all the commandments. I'm not using excuses. Don't get me wrong. I'm not using excuses. I am not a hypocrite. Understand me. There are situations where there are people that do accept all the commandments. And pedigraphy is not a commandment. It's just an allowance. But all the commandments they might accept and believe And we have to consider people that are not in their right mind, who are truly mentally ill. We have to consider the helpless, those people who are mentally or emotionally in need. We must consider these things. We are commanded by God to consider the orphans and the widows. And it is the exact same principle with the mentally ill. It's the exact same principle, helping people who are in need. But I also understand that we can only long suffer and forbear only for a certain amount of time. And I've already given warning, and Robert and AJ both are my personal witnesses that I've already given warning, and I will not put up with crap forever, but I must consider, must consider mental illness because it's the same principle as helping orphans and widows or anyone else in need. So I'm dealing with a very special situation. I would deal with it the best I can. God will guide me and lead me in it, however it goes, however it turns out. Christ will lead me in it. God knows that I always ask him to correct me. And Robert knows that I won't allow anyone to take communion with us who is not entirely faithful to God. But we also got to give people time to grow and time to repent if they believe the commandments and agree with God's truth, then we do have to long suffer with them longer and more patiently than with unbelievers who don't accept the commandments and don't believe the truth. So we all have special situations in our lives and every person must deal with their situation specifically to their situation. We are not cookie-cutter people. We're not all the same. We all don't live exactly the same. We all have special situations. And every situation must be dealt with individually for each person's situation. But people should follow their pastor's advice. 
Absolutely. Even when he's wrong, people should follow their pastor's advice because even Jesus said, do as the scribes and the Pharisees tell you to do, for they are in Moses' seat. We are supposed to submit ourselves to our pastor's authority in all things. Even as a wife is supposed to submit herself to her husband in all things, so is the congregation supposed to submit themselves to the pastor in all things, even when he's wrong. Unless and until it is something like that he invites lost people to communion, of course, that would be an exception. If the pastor continues in unrepentant, unconfessed sin, that he won't even confess, that he won't even try to uh, improve with, that would be an exception. There are exceptions, of course. If the pastor tells you you can keep Christmas or Easter or Halloween or if he's doing that himself, those would be exceptions where you don't have to be obedient to him. So there's exceptions. So I'm talking in general principles. Okay. I'll let you go. And uh, let some people go to bed and rest of us try to wake up and make a decision whether we're going to go back to bed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. And thank you for joining us for the first day of the first month. In Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.